0: Welcome back to the Global Gamers Podcast. This is episode 45 and our first episode of 2024. New year, same show. Yeah, we've made it officially through our first calendar year of doing this. Yeah, that's that's a milestone.
1: It certainly is. And, uh, you know, in year one, we had several games that we talked about a lot and then inexplicably did not do a full review for so we're starting yeah. the year out by starting to rectify that
0: yeah and this was <laughs> so this is our first review in over a month and it's a review of a game that we did just talk about as you mentioned um because this game was on my top 10 list very high up on it actually it was. uh and it was in my top three and we talked about this in our expansions episode. We talked about it so many, so many different times. But this game is Lost Ruins of Arnak.
1: aka Indiana Jones
0: the board game. Kind is of, that fair to yeah. Say? yeah. I mean, in terms of visual presentation, yeah. In terms of what you're doing, not so much.
1: Yeah, I would there
0: agree are no um, Nazis and you know no strange soviet tribes or scientists. or yeah soviet That's Kate true. blanchett or anything yeah in this game <laughs> yeah. this is
1: pure Id- adventurism in the jungle
0: yeah so why don't you kick us off with a brief yeah. thematic discussion yeah
1: let's do it so lost ruins of arnak is a game that combines the best of deck building Mm -hmm. and the best of worker placement into a fun little medley that will keep you coming back to figure out if you can eke out just a few more points by playing it slightly better the next time it's a whole lot of fun and this game is came out in 2020 it is has in the three years since it came out, um, stood up quite well. It's still Very rated well. in the top thirty at number twenty-eight overall, number three in family games. Uh, it's a one to four player game. You, the playtime they give a range of thirty to one hundred and twenty minutes, so about half an hour per player. Mm-hmm. Uh, complexity rating of two point nine one. Um, this game is designed by Elwyn Min. Is this correct? Min and
0: Elwyn. I think they're two Min. different people.
1: Okay, I was wondering about yeah. this because there's but like they always, a but they each between them.
0: Yeah, it's two different designers, Min, but Min they just go by one Elwin. name each. I don't know if it's okay. a first name or a last name, but it's some kind of... What do they call yeah. it when someone goes by one name? Like Beyonce? I mean,
1: <laughs> I, I don't know the technical term for it, but I believe the... I mean, iconic is one way to describe <laughs> it. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, so this is designed by the tag team. Mononymous. Of... That's what it is. There we go. <laughs> designed by the tag team of Min and Elwin, And we have a whole slew of artists that are responsible for this game, including Andre Herdina, Jiri Kush, Philip Muramak, Jakob Pulitzer and a few more in addition to that. Um, That's
0: interesting. I wouldn't really have guessed that there were different artists working on it.
1: Yeah, I mean the yeah, the combined aesthetic Maybe a little is, bit is I think pretty is is y- it's hard to see the seams like it, it's
0: I think it's maybe well the blown. box, like the box art might be a little bit stylistically different than some of the artwork on the cards. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Maybe.
1: Um but yeah, this is published by Czech Games. Mm-hmm. And...
0: CGE. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Indeed. And yeah, like, I mean, we, we kind of jokingly referred to the whole Indiana Jones theme, or at least I did. But the basic idea is you are exploring the ruin- the jungle ruins of a civ- lost civilization called Arnak, mm-hmm. and you're exploring this island to... Find different resources, but like you know I feel like a lot of you know resource worker placement games like this you're building something in this case, you are basically trying to de- discover different like archaeological finds about this lost civilization and kind of like I mean very loosely in the, the theme as as it pertains to the theme like peace together piece together what made this civilization click
0: yeah basically like the way the points work is you're rewarded in different ways for contributing to the overall expedition um which is a really cool integration of the the points and the the strategy with the theme
1: no that's a good way of putting it
0: Yeah. yeah um i can get into discussing uh how this game is played the rules and the overall Strategy yeah, great. Take it away. So, just for reference, if we were thinking back to a game that we've already reviewed, this is most similar to Everdell. So, as you well, already mentioned,
1: oh, games we've reviewed. Yeah, I mean, yes. Dune Imperium also very close to that.
0: Yes, closer to that, but we haven't talked about that yet. Right. Um, and as we've, I think we've mentioned in the past, maybe one day we'll do an episode comparing this game and Dune Imperium directly. Uh huh. Um, but anyway so like Everdell, Lost Ruins of Arnax played over a limited number of rounds in this game there are five rounds each round is a day, so at the end of each day you go to sleep in your tent which is the equivalent of passing <laughs> and across these five rounds you're trying to accumulate points by going on your expedition and contributing to the overall group project of this expedition And you can do that in a number of ways. And so it's probably best to describe the different actions that you can do. So in Lost Urines of Arnak, there are two different types of actions. One is a main action, and the other one is a free action. You can do any number of free actions at any time, on your turn or on anybody else's turn, whenever you want, in any order. And That's fine. So a lot of the time that includes some of your cards will give you free actions. These are all marked with a little lightning bolt. Um, You have these little icons that you can use, these little tokens you can use, little slots you can fill on your individual player board that will give you one-time benefits. Those are what most of the... some of the guardian boons... these are what most of the um, free actions look like. The main actions are much more hefty, and limited in how they're used. So on each of your turns, you take only one main action. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna go from memory on this, because I don't have it printed in front of me. Yeah. But in no particular order, the first one you can do is you can dig at a site. So on the main shared communal board, um, there are a number of sites on the island of Arnak that you can visit. These are broken up into three different sections. So the first row, these are called campsites or tent sites. These are the sites that are available at the beginning of the game. And they will give you resources. And then beyond that, there are eight spots that are these level one sites that you can visit when they're unlocked. More on that later. And they will give you resources more or less equal to the ones that you would get at the campsites, the tent sites. And then there are four level two sites that are more difficult to visit um, and they give you much better resource yields. So in order to visit any of these sites you need to have one of your little archaeologists which is a little worker a little dude with an Indiana Jones hat and you need to pay the travel cost. So traveling in Arnak will be marked by a boot, a ship, a car, or an airplane. And these are the different types of travel you need to do. And it's kind of, it works very well with the map, where the boots are the easiest, and they're right on the shoreline of the map, because you can walk to them. The further inland you go, if you go through the rivers, you take the ships. If you go across the, the deserts, the mountains sorry, the, yeah, the deserts and like the fields and the forests, you take a car. Yep. And then the furthest away generally is like the mountains and the canyons where you need to take a plane. Um, And you can use, it's kind of like a travel hierarchy as well where you can use ships or cars as boots because anywhere you can walk, you can drive. <laughs> and then you can use a plane as anything because you could fly anywhere. Um, So yeah, that's how you travel. You need to pay one of those travel icons which may be printed on your card or you may have um other free actions maybe we'll give it to you there are lots of ways to get them and then you go to the spot you get the resources second main action is discovering a new site so this is how you unlock those level one and level two sites i mentioned it's the same principle except to visit an undiscovered site you also have to pay in addition to the travel costs required that will be printed on the board you also have to pay compasses, which are one of the resources in this game, to unlock those sites. Three for a level one site, six for a level two site. Um, and then you will draw the new site out of the deck, out the top of the, the stack, get the resources printed, and then also reveal a guardian for that site that will need to be defeated at some point. Some kind which of leads... mythical monster. Usually. Yes, they're very cool. Yeah. Um, which leads to the third main action you can take, which is overcoming a guardian. Each guardian on its little guardian tile will have printed on it the cost, really, required to defeat the guardian. They're not super difficult to defeat, but um, right. you know it can detract from other things you might want to do if you're tight on resources. Yeah. And you'll want to do that. You can only defeat a guardian at a site that you are currently at. And if you end the round on that spot by the Guardian not having defeated it, you will take a penalty that's a fair card that is a card that you will add to your deck that will do absolutely nothing except make you lose a point at the end of the game. Yeah. So for deck-building kind of, purposes... Kind of like the
1: curse cards in, in Dominion.
0: Right. Like, for deck-building... Lots of deck-building games have an equivalent of this. It's like just... Um, filler that kind of bloats out your deck and makes it more difficult for you to get the cards you actually want. So that's Overcoming a Guardian. Next, you have Research. So the other big section of the main player board is a Research track that is a temple. Um, There are different tracks that you can use. So you pick one at the beginning of each game. The base game comes with two. Um, Each side of the board has a different track. The expansions will give you additional tracks. Each one is you know thematically different will have different costs associated with it different they're very creative about it it's very cool but basically you go up the research track by paying resources to kind of go up this ladder that is very similar to the one we talked about in Wayfarers of the South Tigris where each spot on the track connects to a different one and you can only move up the ones that are connected by paying the resources required so when you research You pay the resources to go up one single step of the track and gain the reward for that, and then move on until next time you can research again. Um, And then when you get to the top of the track, you can research to gain these temple tiles that are at the temple at the top that will give you points, just straight up end game scoring points. It's a way to kind of cash your resources into points toward the end of the game.
1: Yeah.
0: Next main action is... Um, shopping. So there are two different (laughs) marketplaces to buy things at. There are items and artifacts in this game. Two separate decks that are available in the marketplace. The items, these are marked off by a little like trowel symbol, and they will cost you coins. When you buy an item, you pay the coin cost, and then you put it on the bottom of your deck, so you will be able to draw it from your deck in a future round, or if you have something that lets you draw more cards... If you buy an artifact, these are very interesting. They're very different. When you buy an artifact, you pay compasses, which, as I already mentioned, are also used for discovery. And you will be able to play that artifact immediately and get its benefit immediately. The artifacts are also cool because they always include um, a plane travel symbol. So you can use them for when planes would be required. Um, And then when you're done at the end of each round well, the final main action you take is called passing, where you just pass, you shuffle all the cards you use that round and then put them at the bottom of your deck, draw new cards for the next round, um, take back your, um, your archaeologists and refresh any assistance you may have. And then you just wait until everybody's done for that round, you move on to the next round. As I said, the game is played over five rounds and yeah, whoever has the most points at the end wins points in this game are marked off with anything that has a purple, like a number surrounded by like a little purple diamond. Mm-hmm. Um, and that basically breaks down to three different categories. More or less. The first big category is from research. Mm-hmm. So this is your spot on the research track with your magnifying glass and your journal, which are your two research tools right. plus Um, Any points you got from Temple Tiles. The the next big pool is really the rewards you get for discovery, for discovering new sites. Each Guardian you defeat will give you five points. And then in addition to that, every time you discover a new new site, you'll get these little tokens called Idols that are worth three points each. And then the other big point um, category is from buying... New cards and having them in your deck at the end of the game. So, all of the items and artifacts, in addition to the benefits they give you, they're all worth between one and three points at the end of the game. So, you'd count that up. Any fair cards you have in your deck at the end of the game, you will minus those from the value of your deck. And the person with the most points at the end of the game wins. Yeah. Yeah. So, as you mentioned, this is deck building engine building resource gathering worker placement all the good stuff
1: yeah so just wanted to take a step back because that covered a lot of ground yes (laughs) very well um but i think the three main areas you're getting points from Mm -hmm. are you know you're going up the research track Mm -hmm. You get points based on where you end up you also get those you know the temple tiles the temple tiles at the end So that's at one big bucket of points. Another big bucket of points is... Discovery. Yeah. what Like, the resources you gather when you're exploring the the map. And you can use those, one, for moving up the research track, but also for defeating Guardians and gaining uh, the little idol icons. Mm -hmm. That's another big source of points. And then the third is, as Ed said what you're buying to go along with your expedition.
0: Yeah. Your, your so the items. deck building.
1: Yeah. The deck yeah. building of your items and artifacts. The other fun thing I wanted to note, note on the items and artifacts side is that it's, there's kind of a, you get this a little bit from what the items are called, but the items that you're paying coins for are, are more like things that like manufactured goods and like tools that you would have brought. Mm-hmm. With you That's a really good the thematic expedition. point. Whereas the artifacts are like things you discover on the island. Magical, like items left
0: behind by the civilization that you are using to further your goal. Yeah. So some, some cool examples of that is the item deck includes things like a steamboat, a yeah. shovel, yeah. food rations, a first aid kit, yeah. uh, a donkey, a dog. Um, and then the artifact deck includes things like um star charts a monkey skeleton mask um like an evil candle or some like a cursed candle yeah Yeah. it's that's a good point um that i i think is undervalued about this game it's like it's not the most obviously thematic game but there's so much attention to detail that if you yeah if you're paying attention like it'll always be rewarding like the same way i mentioned when you look at the map the travel symbols for each site correspond to like what part of the island it's on. So like yeah. the spots that have a river just painted on the background will require ships. Yeah. Which is such an easy detail to miss. Yeah. 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 Um
1: there's some really fun attention to detail. So you you went over <clears throat> gameplay, you went over scoring. Uh do you want to should we
0: dive into favorite and least favorite
1: Parts of the game?
0: How about, let's do strategies and tips first, because I think that ah, will gel well yeah. with the rules. And there are couple a couple little, Sorry, like, very specific. The it's okay. Um, lots of very, like, little specific rules that I think are easy to miss or to mess up. Yeah. Um, especially on a first play. Um, oh, I, think I have right a couple on. that I have in mind. So I'm just yeah. going to list them off quickly before I forget, and then we can kind of get into them. Okay. So the first one is when you're playing a card, you are always choosing between its travel benefit, so the the boot, the ship, the plane, etc., or the card's ability, the 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 action um the power printed on the card. That is a choice. You cannot do both yeah. unless the card's benefit is a free action marked by a lightning bolt. Mm -hmm. That is an easy mistake to make. Second thing is just remember when you have artifact cards, the first time you play them, which is right when you buy them, you get to use them once immediately at no additional cost. But subsequently, every time you draw them again from your deck and play them from your hand, it will cost you a tablet to play them again. So sometimes it's worth it, but sometimes it makes them way less powerful. And sometimes the artifacts can be more effective as single use. Yeah. Um, And then maybe you can use them as for the plain benefit in the future. Yeah. Um, And then the other thing I was going to say was that. Hmm. There are a couple little things that are easy to forget or that are not the most well described on some of the cards. Um, when it comes to things like whether you get to relocate one of your placed archaeologists versus, um, you know, the cards ability is only effective if you haven't placed an archaeologist yet. Um, some of the, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to describe, but just, pay very close attention to the specific symbols that are being shown. And the game does a very good job of every everybody gets a player aid card that is super well written and described, so I would always encourage people to reference it constantly throughout the game because it will answer your questions. Yeah. Um, but it just requires being a little bit mindful of it. Yeah. And sometimes like you can also kind of need to look at what other people are doing just to make sure that they're not confusing something because it is easy. Like I'm not in like a bad, like malicious way, like, Oh, they're trying to cheat, but it, it can be easy to think that something that you can do something, but in reality, right. Oh, well, you can't do that because that's not a free action or well, you can't move that guy because you'd already placed him little things like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's certainly a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I so, I mean, some of the things you're you're talking about are, you know, very very tactical. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I would add on the tactical side is just this is a game where many many small decisions accumulate very quickly. Yes, and, in the sense that you you might get a free action or or that is like draw one additional card to your hand or you know get one extra coin and like it can make a it, huge difference in, in the moment those all feel like very very small things but inevitably there will be like any good worker placement game you're going to find yourself at times one or two mm-hmm. resources short of something And realize that if you had planned something a little bit better a turn or two before, you might have been able to do it if you'd sequenced something a little different. I'll give you Um, an
0: example of that. Yeah. So we played this last night, a three-player game. Yeah. If I had one more travel symbol, any travel symbol, whether it's from an additional card I had or a guardian benefit or whatever, I would have gotten six more points. Yeah. Because... I would have been able to take one more silver tile worth six points from the temple. So one card or one little symbol was a six point difference. We also this- played with another friend who um, ended the game with a whole pile of leftover resources. And so, and, and this is something we didn't mention. This is another good thing to keep in mind as well for new players is that there are five main resources in this game. Yeah. And they are not all equal. In fact, there is a very intentional hierarchy yes. of their value. So it kinda it basically was coins, then compasses, then tablets, then arrowheads, then rubies. Right? right. So the rubies in particular and the arrowheads can be very difficult to come by. It's that it's can a, trick honest, you it's into a
1: Oh no! I was just going to say it's a little bit like Everdell,
0: where like the stones are harder to yes, come perfect by perfect than, comparison
1: than, than the wood.
0: Yes, that can trick you into thinking that because those things are valuable currency, that they have value in and of themselves at the end of the game. That is not true. Yeah. Nothing has value at the end of the game unless it is little purple points marked on the board, or on a card, or on yeah. a tile that you have purchased. And so if you're not paying attention to what things actually cost, you can feel like you're in a really good position having accumulated all these resources, but then you have nothing to do with them because they weren't the right resources you needed to purchase temple tiles or to buy more cards or to discover new sites or defeat a guardian. So you really want to pay attention to what the game is asking of you before you decide what you want to gather and how you want to spend it, how you want to budget. This is a very like economical budgeting game. Yeah, no, it very much is. Yeah. So
1: one other thing I would say on that front, you, you mentioned um, paying attention to what other players are doing.
0: Mm-hmm. I think an,
1: another way that that comes into play is, you know, if you're playing from behind, mm-hmm. you're probably better off pivoting towards doing, trying to do something else that someone else isn't doing as much of a little bit better yeah. rather than trying to catch up on something someone is far ahead on. So for example, if someone is a few is several steps ahead of you on the research track and they're getting tiles before you do this happened to me last night yes. when I was playing, I realized all the high value tiles are going to be gone by the time I get up there. I could expend a bunch of resources getting up there or I could, you know, try to defeat more guardians or try to find another source of points that other mm-hmm. people are paying less attention to so that I can, like, make up ground in other areas.
0: Yeah, that kind of leads to one other thing I was going to say is as a general strategy. I can't say that this is true every time, but the way I like to think about it is that of those three big buckets of points that we mentioned. Yeah. I think generally the most successful way to play this game is to try to do well in two of the three. Yeah. So whether research track, discovering sites, purchasing cards, I think that doing well in two of the three tends to be a better way to go than just doing okay. in all three. Yeah. Um,
1: I would agree with that. And yeah, the other thing i would say on that front is i i i you've played this game more than me mm-hmm. but my sense is that those three are not created equal i would put the lowest priority of those on the deck building for the simple reason that there's a little bit of a luck of the mm-hmm. draw element you're at the mercy of which cards come up for like cuz a lot of you might have a game where like all of the all of the um, artifact cards or all of the tool cards that you have on, available on your t- turn are only worth one point. Yep. And and like some of them are very valuable in game, but like it's diminishing returns later in the game, you're picking them up. The more it is just for the points. Mm-hmm. And if you only have 1.1s available, there's not much you can do about that. Whereas you are better able to control your own destiny uh, to an extent
0: by deciding how to move up the research track and yeah
1: up the research track
0: with the shopping as well I'll give you a good example of how that can be frustrating I don't even know if mm-hmm. you really noticed this last night but we were in round five coming down to the end right yeah and in round five there's only one item available for purchase at a time right I had two coins left yeah you had I believe at the time six coins I purchased the one item that was available that cost only one coin and was worth one point, right? Yeah. And then we revealed a new one. It cost the same one coin worth one point. Came back around to be my turn again. I bought that one, right? While you did some research and, and spent two of your coins. Yeah. Then you were the last one to pass. The new item that showed up was... It cost four coins because it had a really good ability, but was still only worth one point. Yeah. And that was really unlucky for you because you just yeah. spent four times what I had to spend to get a single point just because yeah. of the luck of the draw. Right. And we're, realist- we're like, well, possibly you could have gotten another one or two points if those were cheaper cards that kept cycling through before the end. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, that's... that's- That was one of the big lessons I took away from. It's it's a valid strategy. Like, if you have a bunch of leftover coins, like, classic move is to just buy a bunch of things at the end, even though you'll never use them just to get points. That's fine.
1: But, but but I mean, like you said, it
0: could be inefficient.
1: Yeah. It could, well, and it could be especially inefficient for the reason that you said you only have one option Mm -hmm. in the later, in the last round of the game. Yeah. And so you, I think that the the probability is higher that you are going to
0: find yourself out of luck. Yes. Um, Um, Final thing I would say about the deck building and just strategies. I think also I, as much as I can, I like to get rid of fear cards as early as possible. It makes a difference not having them stay in your deck. Because everybody starts with two in their deck. And yeah. you're drawing a hand of five every round. Yeah. So if you don't get rid of those, first off, if you start, you start the first round with six cards total, you're drawing five of those six. There's a pretty good chance you're going to draw both of them. Which yeah. means that if you use both of them in that round, odds are they're very close to each other in your deck when you draw again for a future round. So if that's two out of the five rounds where you already have two out of your five cards are fair cards in your hand, Mm-hmm. That's cutting off a lot of options and a lot of real estate in your hand that could be used yeah. on cards that would do much more for you
1: well, not only that, the other factor is is like early on when your deck is small, that's the easiest time to fish them out so you can get mm-hmm. rid of them like the bigger yeah. your deck gets, the harder it can be to find them in there and yeah you you have to have them in your hand or already played in order to uh Expunge them from your deck. You, yeah. You can't like go fishing through your deck to find them. Yeah. Um, um so best thing, worst thing? Yeah. Do you want to go first or do you want me to? You go first. I would say the best thing about this game is I uh I think The, the way the, I think, sorry, let me start over. I think the best thing about this game is the way that the trade-offs that you have to make between the research track and the exploration part of the game. Mm -hmm. The fact that you're spending the same resources to move up both. The fact that you're having to decide when to move up one versus the other not just in terms of like what your own strategy is, but keeping an eye on what other players are doing, Yeah, keeping in mind two or three turns ahead, what resources you're going to need for say, defeating a guardian that you still have to get rid of this round. But in addition to that, there are times where counterintuitively you want to wait to move up. Like for instance, sometimes on the research track you're moving up and you, get a free item or a discount. This was very frustrating item. last night. <laughs> yeah. Or or you get to pick an assistant. Mm-hmm. And
0: on the one You don't hand, like what's what's available
1: right now. Yeah. Yeah, if you don't like what's available right now, it puts you in a little bit of a bind cuz it's the question is do you settle for something suboptimal to keep moving up? And mm-hmm. it's especially tricky on the assistant side because these are think like one time bonuses each round that you refresh each round, so it's like if you wait a whole round to get it, you might be better off getting a slightly worse one and using it more often versus waiting for the perfect one and only being able to use it once or
0: twice yeah, and like they're generally very it's very, very difficult to replace one that you have with a different one like I think there are only a few artifact cards that let you do that, yeah, and they're very there are a few cards as well that will let you like move one from the top of the stack of the ones available to the bottom but it's it's not very common so mostly the ones you see are the ones that are going to be there for a while unless someone else takes one and then you get a new option right
1: so i mean another factor to keep in mind there is like if you like it's a good idea to keep that in mind while you're building the other pieces of your strategy because if like depending on which asymmetric powers that you have like maybe you want to make sure that you are calibrating any choices you have on those fronts to take into account what's available on the assistant front so you're not doubling them up and creating redundancies yeah um, and on that front like i don't know if this was your top thing but i think the the asymmetry is also a really
0: well let's style. let's hold off on the asymmetry because that's actually an expansion feature okay Okay. but my best thing is very similar to yours though mine is the generally i guess you'd label it under the engine building but specifically Mm -hmm. it's the the chaining like the chain reaction effect that things can have so you were talking about this about how having one extra card or one extra coin even can drastically change the game like there are times where like let's say i have two compasses and an arrowhead, right? The only thing possible that I can do is move up the research track, which will cost me an arrowhead and a compass. I move up, that leaves me with one compass left. But my reward for moving up the track was just, I just got two more compasses. So now I have three compasses. Mm -hmm. So now I have enough compasses to discover a new level one site. I go to that level one site and I flip it and that level one site just gave me two coins in a tablet. Oh, yeah. I can buy a new item with those two coins, and I had a, an artifact card in my hand that I couldn't use before because I didn't have a tablet. Now I do. Boom. Play the artifact card. It has a really powerful benefit. Gives me Maybe lets me relocate one of my archaeologists to a new site, get way more um, resources that I can use to defeat the guardian that I just revealed from the level one site I just discovered. Yep. Yeah. That wouldn't have happened if I just didn't get those two compasses from that one research action. And when that happens, it's so satisfying, but it's not a guarantee. So you have to plan and put yourself in the best position possible to spend every little thing in the correct place at the correct time. Yeah. It's great. Yeah.
1: No, it really is.
0: And if you don't do it well, then you end up at the end of the game stuck with things that you were not able to use or just wishing you had that one more thing to help you out. But that's the thing. like, You're always going to end the game feeling that way because the game just kind of keeps going until you choose to pass when you run out of options, which is really fun because it makes you excited at the end of each round for the next round. And then at the end of the game, it makes you excited to want to play again to like um, like, see how much more you could do the next time. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, Again, very similar feeling to Everdell.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, should we go to least favorite thing? Yes. So, the, fir- the first thing I want to mention on this front is... Well, this is an issue that crops up in a lot of more complex games Mm -hmm. but i think a game like this is if you haven't played it as much as the people you're playing with you're at i think a considerable disadvantage and i think that's true for a lot of complex games but i think that comes into play particularly in with the deck building element of this game because yeah There's so much nuance to how the items play off each other that, like, I don't know. For instance, when I'm playing this game, I always feel three steps behind. And I think it's probably just... You do very well, though. Just just a product of me needing to get in more plays of it. Mm -hmm. But I think... um, that is a little bit of a barrier of entry to this game um, where the learning curve is a little bit steep and you can still have a lot of fun in the meantime. And I guess you can sometimes even it out, even it out with some of the asymmetric abilities, depending on which ones people use. But that's one thing that uh, sticks out in my mind from from playing this one.
0: Yeah, I could see that, particularly with just... I mean, it, as you said, it goes with the territory of complex games, that there is a learning curve. And then with every game that involves a deck of cards, n- like there are cards that are not as good as others. Yeah. And that's by design. Or that are accommodating very different strategies. Yeah, And I would say as someone who's played this game dozens of times, I'm not going to say that I know the whole deck. I don't. But I know there are certain cards in it that I really like. And if I see them, I'm going to grab them at the earliest opportunity. Like, no for question sure. about it. Oh, for um, sure. Which, again, Nick, you're right. It's a thing you won't know if you don't know the deck. But, you know, I don't, I don't think that's really a fault of the game as much as, like, that's just... Well... There's no way really around that with this type of game. No, no. And
1: I, I, I wouldn't frame it as a fault of the game as much as mm-hmm. I would just, like... Uh, it's it, not
0: the most fun part of the experience.
1: It's... it's it, yeah, it makes the experience feel a little bit more like that element feel a little bit more like eating your vegetables Mm -hmm. and and also just it's a little bit of a barrier of entry to like introducing new people to it those are my main
0: right yeah thoughts on that um so my worst thing is I'll just briefly mention what I already mentioned about how some of the little, very precise rules can be a little bit difficult. Yeah, Even for experienced players, because there are different cards that do very similar things, but it's the slight differences that make a big difference. Yeah, um, And then my actual worst thing is the inconsistent quality of the components in this game. Mm-hmm. This is a beautiful game with very high production value 90 percent of the time yeah the cards are perfect the board is awesome the tablets arrowheads and rubies are great i particularly love um the tablets they're really fun um Mm -hmm. and the rubies i love that they're shaped like turtles which is perfect for the theme yeah um but it does kind of feel like they cheaped out on a couple things that frustrates me. Mm-hmm. Um, the The cardboard of the sights and the guardian tiles—have you noticed? Like the edges feel a little bit rough.
1: Yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. and the like that yeah. little that slightly crummy crumb yes. feeling when you push yeah. them out. Yeah, yeah.
0: There's um, that. the box itself is very flimsy and damages easily, and I'm surprised that it hasn't ripped yet. Honestly. Mm-hmm. and it doesn't come with any kind of insert so you just like throw everything in it um so there's a huge industry of online um <laughs> custom inserts for this game which yeah. i think is pretty necessary honestly um if you don't want the things to get damaged or to be a hassle to assemble every time because and then also like i don't know what they did but the little like plastic bags even that came with this game were honestly some of the i don't know how to describe it grossest cheapest feeling plastic bags i've ever seen um yeah even just like the colors of the archaeologists and the research tracker things Mm -hmm. they feel a little bit like cheap like that very bright red bright green solid blue the yellow you know like when i think about like the the garfield wooden components yeah you know the colors are a little bit nicer they're a little bit they look a little bit like, they sync better with the overall design of the game, whereas these are a little bit jarring when you look at them. But those are very small things. Um, I think, yeah, other than that, this is such... I mean, as I said, this is a top three game for me, so I have very little negative to say about this. Yeah.
1: The, yeah. So I have. I have one other thing that i want to bring up on this that i think is wasn't my favorite part of this game mm-hmm. um i won't get too much into the con- comparison yet because we usually save that for later but i think an inevitable comparison that usually comes up for this game is dune imperium just because yeah combines... which you have a re-
0: as a reference point that i don't
1: right and so that combines the deck building and the worker placement of this quite a lot mm-hmm. um But one one quibble I have with how Lost Ruins of Aranek is set up is that the defeating of the Guardians feels a little bit mm, rote Mm -hmm. in the sense that to move up the research track, you just pay a cost, whether it's in arrowheads, rubies, coins, whatever resource it's in, and you move up. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's the same with Guardians. You're just paying something and then it's to started. get points. Yeah. And it just feels a little bit plug and play a little bit. Yeah, there's I I guess I was surprised that they didn't introduce any sort of like like a combat, a combat or something like and yeah. maybe maybe something where like you pay resources to increase your chances of
0: it. Maybe but, some un- kind of like the monsters in dwellings of Eldervale.
1: Yeah. Something like that. Because, um, be, uh, I mean, I don't want to delve too much into the comparison now, but like Dune Imperium, I give higher marks than this game because it has all of those other things we've already talked about, but then it also has an interesting combat experience built into it as well. Okay.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so, Let's talk about expansions. Yeah. So there are two expansions now to this game. Part of the reason we didn't review this months ago was we were waiting for the new Missing Expedition expansion to come out. So the first expansion is called Expedition Leaders. And I would label this as... I think we talked about this on our expansion episode. Um, this is an all-time like great expansion for me for any game um and i would strongly encourage anybody who has this game to just pick up this expansion immediately um the big thing that it introduces well just get out of the way the small things additional cards for both decks new um site tiles for the level one level two tiles and new guardians yeah and then two new research tracks that you can use to you know change it up a bit and they're they're both really cool tracks um but the big thing is that this expansion introduces asymmetry to this game so instead of everyone just having the same generic player board that's just a campsite and the same starting deck everybody will now have a different character that they can use each one will have their own player board their own player ability and their own unique starting deck of four cards and they all play very differently. It's not like game breakingly different, like like root. Um, yeah. But it's this is one of my favorite, if not if not my favorite, um, asymmetric implementation in any game. Yeah. Like I, it's definitely better than what Everdell did, easily. And they're much better balanced as well. Unlike Everdell, where like there are just so many different options these you just have like a solid group of characters to choose from and they're all very well balanced so much so that like there's a poll um on Board Game Geek. it only includes the six that came with this expansion and like it's pretty well balanced like of the six characters the one that seems the most popular only got 25% of the vote that's something. so yeah and
1: you're right that does seem a difference with Everdell because as much as I love the asymmetric player powers in Everdell I feel like there's five or six that are very good and you use all the time it's very uneven and then there's a lot of them where it's like you might only get to do it a couple times or like maybe you get to the end of the game and you realize oh i didn't hardly use that at all mm-hmm. yeah
0: um so that's expedition leaders and then the missing expedition added in two additional characters more cards for both decks more guardian sites etc two new research tracks and the big new thing was a new campaign mode that is played across six games and like a new solo co-op kind of mode. that yeah. not my thing, but it's there if you want it. Um, so yeah, the biggest, coolest thing about the expansions is definitely the asymmetric characters. I would strongly recommend, even with new players, you can just go right in. And I have done this, just go right into giving them one of the asymmetric characters, the rulebook actually tells you, it gives you two of the characters that it recommends mm-hmm. for first-time players. And, like, again, none of them are super, you know, fantastic compared to the others. Just some are more streamlined than others, whereas others, to do well with them, you kind of have to already understand um, the flow of the game or some of the iconography that's a little bit less obvious. Yeah. Um. So... If you will indulge me, just because I have played this game so many times, and I have played yeah. with all eight um, expedition leaders that are now available.
1: Yeah, how would you, I, how would you rank them?
0: Yeah, so I'm going to go from my least favorite to my favorite, and just give like a very quick thing about them. So, least favorite, coming in number eight, is The Journalist, who yeah. is one of the, the two new ones from The Missing Expedition. Um, his whole thing is like you can pay travel costs as a free action to pick up these little newspapers from sites that you're on and get one time benefits from them. And when you do that enough, it unlocks additional idle spots on your player board. It's okay. And his, his cards are not anything special either. Um, number seven, the professor. His whole thing is he specializes in artifacts. So in addition to the artifacts available to everybody on the board, he gets three additional ones in his own private marketplace that he can buy. And then at the beginning of each round, he either gets a compass or a tablet that goes on his suitcase, and he can use those specifically for purchasing or using the abilities of artifacts.
1: Now, one question I have is the Uh artifacts he has, is it just a random three from the base deck or does he
0: have his own set? No, it's deck? it's the normal deck. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, number six, the Falconer. This is one of the two that the game recommends for um, first-time players. And uh-huh. her big thing is that she has a Falcon that kind of moves up this little track. Um, it can move up once at the beginning of each round and then some of her cards in her deck let it move up more. And whenever you want as a... As an action, some of the spots are free, some of them are not. You can activate the spot it's on to get additional resources. So the Mm -hmm. further, and then it goes back to the beginning. So it's kind of like the falcon goes out, comes back in. Yeah. yeah. So the further you let go out, the better the reward you get. Yeah.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, Then the captain. This is the other one that the game recommends for first time players. He's the most straightforward. Normally, every character has two archaeologists, he has three. Very simple. Yeah. Um, Number four, the Mechanic. This is the other new one from the Expedition Leaders. She has this very cool wheel that spins that um, you can get additional resources and benefits from. And she has a special monkey assistant that will allow her to spin the wheel. And she kind of upgrades the wheel as the game goes along, so it powers up as the game goes. Um, Number three, the Explorer... So she's kind of the opposite of the captain. Instead of having an extra archaeologist, she only has one. But she can hop it around to different spots using snacks that she has. So she has snack tokens. She starts the game with two. Eventually she gets a third one. And she can use each snack once per round to basically relocate where she is. So even though she only has one archaeologist, she can move it like up to three times. So yeah. Um, My runner-up is the Mystic. So the Mystic um, basically is the only character who wants to kind of accumulate fair cards, at least temporarily. So he starts each round with an additional fair card in his hand. Mm -hmm. Um, But he has a lot of different ways to exile them. And when he exiles them, instead of them just going back to the deck, they go to a special pile on his player mat, and he can then, like, Exile like perform rituals to get benefits depending on how many fair cards he has in it the ritual gives him different and more powerful abilities yeah and then my favorite is the baroness and she's kind of similar to the professor but she's so much better her specialty is um items and getting gold so every round she gets like additional gold And her cards, one of her cards in her deck, she gets at the beginning of each round. And when she buys an item in the same turn, I think that she plays that card, which also gives her like a coin as a free action. She can um, take the item she just bought and put it directly into her hand, instead of it having it's either directly into her hand or on the top of her deck instead of it going to the bottom of her deck. Yeah. Um, And because she just has so much more money. As we talked about um, with the deck building, that can transfer into direct points or just buying really good cards before other people have the chance to do it.
1: Interesting that you picked her as your favorite. One Mm -hmm. thing I do wonder about is. It was tough, though. Well, do you think her. Is there a sense where her drawback is that she's at the mercy of what items come up?
0: Yeah. And and also, like, you know, at the end of the day. At the end of the day, like, coins are not. They're like the least special resource in the game. Right. Um, So maybe it could just be that maybe the times I've used her, I've gotten lucky with what was in the marketplace. Um, Yeah. 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 And I think if I remember correctly, I think it was the mystic that people liked most um, on the pool. I can look that up, but we can go on and I'll just come back to it. Yeah. Um yeah, well, anyway, let's move on. So those are the expansions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I strongly recommend both, particularly the first one, the expedition leaders, with obviously if campaigns and all of that are your thing, then you're gonna want to pick up the missing expedition as well. And yeah. um yeah The Missing Expedition, I'm open to changing my mind about the journalist because it's only been one play. Yeah. But we'll see. And then the mechanic is really cool, and both the research tracks, both of them are really cool in that expansion, particularly the waterfall track. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, do we feel like we need to talk about similar games? Because I feel like we've already talked about Dune Imperium and Everdell a good bit.
1: Yeah, I and mean, we're
0: running a bit long.
1: Yeah, why don't we? Why don't we save that?
0: Um, yeah, especially if we do come back and do a dune imperium arnak yeah comparison episode at some point yeah yeah cool so let's do final ratings
1: sure sounds good do you want to kick us off or do you want me to
0: you go for it i've been i've been talking about characters for a while
1: okay sounds good uh i'm gonna give do, I've, uh, you almost for, said dune imperium <laughs> I, I almost did almost a uh, l- little bit of a freudian slip there the lost um, ruins of dune yeah exactly uh, I'm going to give Lost Roads of Arnak an eight, Ugh. and it's it's a very good game. I enjoy it quite a lot, um, <clears throat> but I think deck building wise, I think, I mean, a big part of this is just the comparison to Dune Imperium for me. I just, right, I just I just prefer that other game because it has the it it has some of those same elements in it uh with the combat thrown in and a little bit a little bit more player interactivity as well just because you know in this game you basically collect resources and then you spend those same resources one of the fun things you do in Dune Imperium though at least in the base game is you're collecting spice and then you have to sell the spice in order to get money. That's one of the main ways you get money in that game. And what's fun about it is that you are, there's heightened player interactivity because you are competing for the spaces to get the spice in the first place. Mm -hmm. But, but then there's very limited opportunities to sell it. And so each round you're kind of racing for that spot to be able to sell it. And um it's it's got a similar element where it's color coded in the same way that Ruins of Arnac does the different forms of transportation that you need in order to get to certain spots. But um I I give that game a lot of credit for the player interactivity and um and also for the, the combat element which adds a lot of uncertainty to how games are gonna pan out. Um but all that being said, I still think Lost Ruins is a really solid game and I've really enjoyed getting to see how the different strategies can pan out with the different asymmetric player powers.
0: Cool. So my rating is based off of the assumption that we are including the expansions. Mm-hmm. Um, and i'm giving this game a 9.5 wow yeah it was my top 3 it was um and yeah it was so as i talked about in our in our top 10 episode that we did recently yeah it was tough between this and scholars yeah of the south tigress to see which the order of those two games in number 2 and number 3 for sure really the thing that brought this down a little bit was that overall inconsistency of the component quality compared to a Garfield production. Yeah. But, yeah. This this is a game that, like, you know, has consistently been very highly ranked for me. And the funny thing is, like, for a while, back in the day, I was choosing between this and Everdell for which one I wanted to own. Obviously, I own both now. Yeah, And then, once I owned both in their expansion filled iterations. Uh-huh. It was tough for a while to kind of decide which one I prefer and I was kind of going back and forth on it. Yeah. But I think at this point I feel pretty good saying that this is the stronger of the two. Um the huh. asymmetry yeah. is amazing for that. Yeah. And I also just love the the inclusion of the deck building is yeah. great. Um yeah. yeah. So that's my feelings on Lost Runes of Arnak. It is the really the engine builder to beat (laughs) yeah yeah
1: that's fair that's fair it is it is a really fun one
0: Mm -hmm. cool um so that's our first review of 2024 starting 2024 off with an hour-long episode so we are in good form (laughs) we're still talking (laughs) yeah and we'll be back next week yeah, looking forward
1: to uh seeing what other reviews we've got uh to 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 kick off the year.
0: Bye.